Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the book of Romans, Pastor Murphy began to show us the purpose of the law. Today, we'll learn more about its first purpose, to silence man. I want you to turn with me, please, to the book of uh, Romans. The book of Romans. I want to pick up from where we ended last time. I want to read from verse number 19 of the book of Romans. Book of Romans, uh, chapter 3, verse 19. Let's follow from verse number 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, they shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. I declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and justifier of them that believe in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Or works. Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Now, I want to look at three things. I can only look at one thing today. Uh, but I want to look at three things from this passage. First of all, in verse 19, Paul gives us a forensic explanation for the law. What is the legal purpose of the law? And Paul said the law is designed for two things. To make you speechless and to make you understand your guilt. See, That's the purpose of the law. To stop you from all your braggadocia. That you're so good and so nice. You know, that you're so unique, so special. That you don't do what the other people do, therefore you're better. To stop you being a peacock, putting your nice little feathers to say, what, how, what a nice person I am. See? When the law is finished with you, all you can do is to put your hand in your mouth and say, I have nothing to say. And the second thing is to let you understand that you are truly, personally guilty before God. Not that you're weak. Not that you make mistakes. But that you are truly guilty before God. 
The law can do that for you. The second thing we'll look at in verse number 20 is that Paul refutes what I call the salvific power of the law. Notice what he says. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be what? Justified. Secondly, I want you to know that the law has no power to justify you or to save you. And then the third thing that we will look at in verses 21 to 2031, and this is great. Paul expounds the redemptive genius of God in solving the problem. I repeat, Paul expounds the redemptive genius of God in solving. Now here is the problem. How can a holy God who cannot even look upon sin justify a rotten, depraved sinner and still remain holy himself? How do you solve that problem? How can you be just to the law? That the law is vindicated. How can you be just to that law and at the same time make this sinner who broke the law righteous? How do you solve that problem? And Paul explains in verse 21 to 31 the genius of God in solving that problem that stood in the way of God's redemption. By the way, if you think for a moment that redeeming man was a simple task and an easy solution, you have not fully understand the plight of man and the holiness of God yet. You do not really understand that. Do you understand those two things? They are like opposites, antithesis to each other. How do you bring these two things together? So it's not easy. And let me show you how I know it is not easy. It took God 4,000 years to solve this problem. From Adam's sin until Christ's death, 4,000 years. If it was that easy, it took a genius like God to solve the problem. See, There were things that stood in the way. Now, by the way, a lot of people got the idea that God is some little great old granddaddy of the, there that he just see his people down, people down here doing everything. And he said, oh, forgive him. Oh, forgive him. Oh, I'm so sorry for him. Absolutely not. God sits enthroned as an imperial judge. Holy judge. He looks down and all he sees, these people deserve wrath. Wrath. See? But there's another part of God, not only his holiness. It's his love. So he has to exercise his love so that he doesn't jeopardize his holiness. And that's the mystery of verse 21 to 31. The genius, how God solved it. My point I'm trying to emphasize here this morning. Perish the thought if you should ever entertain that by the snap of God's finger, he could have solved the problem. But there's something else. If it was easy, not only would it take 4,000 years, but if it was easier, it cost God his only begotten son. Now you explain that to me. Here's the genius. He's omnipresent, omnipotent. He's omni, he knows everything. There is no 
way you could uh, understand his thinking. You can't plumb the depths of his knowledge or his wisdom. But yet, he can only solve the problem by the death of his son. You talk about being complicated? That is complication. I can think of a thousand ways that I would rather solve a problem than sacrificing my son by such a brutal death. So when you begin to understand how serious the problem is with our humanity, then you begin to grow an appreciation for what it took God to solve this problem. So let's go then to verse number 19 and let us see what Paul, how Paul explains what's the forensic purpose of the loss. I'm just going to cover one point this morning, half of a point, because I'm going to vote just part of this verse. Notice what he says. Now, we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under law, that what? Every mouth may be shut. Again, what Paul is here saying to these people, look, I've given you all the arguments. I've presented all of the evidence. And here is the conclusion that the, all the evidence was leading to. Now we know. I want you to know something. Now we know. You don't need any longer to equivocate what all I've told you about was about before. You don't have to say to yourself, well, I was so uncertain, Paul, what you were trying to get across. Paul is saying, I did all of that to bring you to the point where you can say, now we know. Amen. What Paul is saying here, I, all your objections and all your discussions and all your dialogue, it is over. Over, completely over. The matter is settled. As a result of what I've told you, there's something we know. See, Certainty. So vagueness gives way to clarity. Ignorance gives way to knowledge. And ambivalence gives way to certainty. What, what Paul is saying here. So what the Apostle Paul wants the, the believers to know and wants us modern Christians to understand is the legal purpose of the law. Number one. The first legal forensic purpose of the law, verse 19, is that every man... My mouth might be what? Shut. So the first thing that the law does, it is designed to silence man. The King James said that every mouth be shut. By the way, what a striking, humiliating statement that is. That the end of the law is to shut up us to all our disputations and all of our arguments. And to cancel all our, 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 our cavillings and our rationalizations and our objections. The purpose of law is to silence our arguments and our complaints so that we can no longer self-vindicate ourselves. Give excuses for why we do what we do. The law is to silence us, to render a man speechless. That every mouth may be shut. Now I think one of the ways that I can best illustrate, uh, show you this, is to illustrate it by two or three simple examples this morning. This problem of people being bombastic and, and being uh, people who, who like to run their mouth. 
and would talk a lot. People were very loquacious and people who like, you know, garrulous, they, they just like to talk and talk and they're always arguing, they always got some defense. Normally that comes from religious people. Stocked up religious people. See? You meet them all the time on visitation. Oh, I'm not coming to your church. I got my church. And they got every kind of argument. When you begin to want to present the gospel, I, 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 my priest told me that already. My pastor told me that already. See? Well, I know that. You don't need to quote that. I can quote that for you. They're so blinded by their religion that they have a diary of words that just spit out. See? They're like this person. They, they just talk and talk and talk. And Paul is here dealing with these religious people. And he's saying to them, I want you to shut your mouth up. By the time I'm finished with you, I want you to be so speechless, you can't talk. And that's why I've used the law in this regard. Now, let me use an illustration of what this means. You remember in Luke chapter 18, our Lord gave a parable. And he talked about the... Pharisee and the publican who went up into, into the temple to prayer. You remember that? Yes. Now you remember, let me give you the details. You remember, this man goes into the temple. He runs to the front. He, he makes sure he gets there first. He observes how many people are around him. And then he saw this whole publican next to him. And he, he said, I'm going to pray. Now the man isn't praying the man is giving a speech about himself. He's in love with his eloquence. So listen to him for just a moment. He stands up there and he says, God, I thank you. And then he has a checklist in his mind. So what he does, he parades all his virtues before God. And you remember what he says? What he's saying, I am the essence of perfection and virtue. You know how I know that? Because in the parable, our Lord mentioned that he, he, he brought to God's attention seven things. No, seven is the number of perfection. So here's a man saying, I am it. I'm Mr. Perfect. I'm Mr. Virtue. God, you've never met anybody like me before. And so what he does now, he goes to his checklist. Listen to his checklist. Number one, God, I just want you to know that I'm an exceptional person. How do we know that? I'm not as other men are. I'm unique. I'm special. I'm exceptional. Number two. Lord, I'm not an extortioner. God, I'm the epitome and embodiment of, of uh, integrity and honesty. So number one, I'm exceptional. Number two, I'm honest. And I'm a man of it. Number three. Lord, I'm not unjust. Lord, I am impartial and righteous. I know to treat people with equality. He's going through his mind. Now what else do I tell God? Well, he said, Lord, huh? I'm not like this adulterer. God, I'm a perfectly morally right person. See? Never touch a woman. And today you might say, never touch a man too, I guess. See? Moral. And then number five, he said, Lord, I, 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 I'm not as this publican. I'm not a sinner like him. 
Number five. Well, you would have thought the man exhausted his vocabulary. But then he said, God, there are two more things I want to tell you. Number one, God, I'm very disciplined. I fast twice a week. I know how to control my appetite, God. And then God said, anything else? He said, yes, I got one finale. Here it is. I tithe of all I have. I'm a very generous person, God. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He's a great talker. Great talker. I am Mr. Perfect. I am Mr. Ideal. Lord, I am perfection. If you've ever seen perfection. No, that is not praying, my brother. That is not praying. See? When you come into the presence of God, it's not to display your eloquence and how many words you know. When you come into the presence of God, you are not auditioning for a role. You're not going like, you know, going to Hollywood. You don't want, you're not praying for an Emmy Award. See? When you go before God, the first thing that you do is that you're broken before God. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been saved. You come before God feeling, I don't deserve nothing. Brokenness. But you see, religious people are not like that. Religious people live in a la-la land. And they have forgotten who God is. Because they're so preoccupied with who they are. With all their virtues. All of their qualities, after all, and better than most people in the church. I don't know many people who pray better than me, pray more than me, who give the tithes, who even fast. Pastor, I don't know people who visit people or who witness. I, I, I don't know people. And we forgot who God is. You don't parade yourself before God. You come into his presence and once you realize who he is, imagine you fall down in brokenness. Because no matter how good you are, sir, you can't come up to scratch with him. That is why God said here now, with the law is to put your So this guy, by the way, in this particular passage, he is self-boasting, he is self-praising, he is giving all his adulations, he's, he's aggrandizing himself. But here it is. One thing you forget. It's a matter of self-conceit of who he really is. That every mouth may be stopped, the Bible says. The illustration that is contrary to this man is the publican. Did you see how he's going before God? Here is he. He goes into the, to God. He doesn't rush to the front. The Pharisee wants to be the front. He wants to be the limelight. He wants to see how many people can hear what he's saying. The publican stands back. He, he doesn't feel he should be there. And then he begins to pray. They said the, public, the, 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 uh, the Pharisee lifted up his eyes to the Lord. And began to pray. The publican can't even look at God. He holds his head down. He can't raise his hand. He just pounds it, pounds it, pounds it. God, be merciful to me. And the only man that made God speak was the publican. He silenced him. Because he said, this man. Goes down justified. And I suppose the Pharisee put his hand in his mouth. He? 
and he doesn't have an argument. That every mouth may be stopped before God. My dear friend, God will silence our boasting and God will humble our egos because God dwells with him who is a broken and a contrite heart. He sits on two thrones, the throne of heaven and the throne of a broken heart. See? That's God. See? Silence. So Christ silenced this Pharisee with all his boasting, all his self-congratulation. He's silenced. Let me use another illustration to show you what this means. There's another stunning example of this type of a person that this text applies to. You remember the rich young ruler? Boy, you ever met an officious man like he yet? <laughs> the Lord is going to, and he runs! Runs and says, Master, I've been waiting to see you. Can't wait to tell you. I've been, I just have some, I want to ask you. Look, what can I do to inherit eternal life? I want this thing, man. I may be young, I may be rich, but I want this thing. How do I get it? You're talking about a bold young fella? Interrupting the master? And boy, could he talk. The Lord said, well, you want to, be, you want to get into the kingdom? Let me tell you how you get into the kingdom. What does the law say? And here's a man with all of his, well, the law says, bah, 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 riddle off the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and the Lord said, well, he said, but what else? He said, well, he said, I've kept every one of these from the time I was a youth. I not only know them, but I have kept them. That's a man who really doesn't know who he really is. That's a religious man that is blind by telling the master, I've kept them all. From the youth up, I've kept them. That's a man that is blind. He has, his mouth has to be stopped. He has to be brought to silence. Oh, so you kept, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. You kept, uh, know the God before me, honor his name, keep the Sabbath. You, you, you kept, you shouldn't commit adultery, you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't covet. You, you kept all of that, yes, for my youth. What else is there for me to do? He still doesn't understand. He doesn't understand the law. Because when he makes that statement, it's clear he doesn't understand what the real meaning of the law. All right. So you have done that? Yes. Now here's the big test. The law is summed up in two commandments that encapsulates the two sections of the law. The law, first four commandments are summed up under these words. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, and with all your soul. That's the first part. The next part is made of this. Love your neighbor as yourself. You did that? All right. Now let me tell you what I require of you now. I want to take all your riches. Okay. You, love, you love God? I'm God. Okay, I'm God. I am telling you, I God telling you, take all you've got, and fulfill the second part of the law. Give it to the poor. Love your neighbor yourself. Don't you want your neighbor to have things? Don't you have plenty? Well, give some to your neighbor. Now the Lord is telling him what the law really means. If you really love God 
with all your heart, with all your might, with all your strength. Everything you own belongs to God. If you really love your neighbor, you use what you have to help your neighbor in need. You don't hoard it. Boy, that young man could talk. Suddenly, he's gone mute. He can't say a word. And all he does, the Bible says, he went away sorrowful. Now get this. Jesus never said, come back! Come back! Come back! Let me soften it for you. Never, 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 never. Because a person like that, until they get woken up one day that they have nothing before God, that they're in a terrible, indictable position, that their depravity is so deep, that the only place they're going after death is beyond the grave, six feet, beyond six feet, to hell itself. They can never be woken up until they come to the reality of who they are, who God really is. That's what the law does. Pharisee, anything to say? (laughs) Never man spoke like this man before. Why did he demoralize me? Young man, anything to say? Well, you saw me walk away, had nothing to say. I can't argue with these arguments. That every mouth may be what? Stopped. Silence before God. And then, I want to use one final illustration. And this matter of silence. But I, I, I've got a, a note here that I, I need to refer to in just a moment. When God deals with us, and he's bringing us to an understanding of need to trust him and the need for faith, God knocks at two things in our lives. You know what they are? He knocks at the area of where our affections are. This young man's affection was clearly one place. Pesos. The Nero. The queen's head. His main concern was his wealth. That's where his affections lay. That is where his idol was. That was where his God was. And God had to knock that God down. So that is why he, listen, there's nothing wrong with being rich. I want you to understand that. There's nothing wrong in being wealthy. I want you to understand that. You should not envy the wealthy people of the world. You should not envy Donald Trump because he's wealthy. You should not envy men who have, if they work for their wealth and slave for their wealth and work hard to get their wealth, don't envy the man. Look, I've been with business people already, right? When I was marketing, forget this guy. There's a guy in our country called Neville. He started what is called the Julian Group of Companies. Well, they the finally sold all of them to the Indians and Trinidad. But this man started for nothing. Going about a little suitcase and selling cosmetic products. And then he, he opened a little shop. And then next thing, the man had some big supermarkets. Angela would know him. Or she would know about that. Julian's all over the place. Came for nothing, 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 nothing. And I remember one day we were selling him a vault room door, Chubb Security. And the vault room door, we were putting it with a crane and it fell down. So I had to deal with that. I was managing the company at the time, dealing with uh, office, office equipment. And I remember talking to Julian. I said, man alive, I can't know. I don't know how in the world you came from nothing to be this thing. I mean, everybody's like, Julian, Julian, Julian. Big stores. I will never forget what he told me. He said, Pastor... Well, he didn't know he was a pastor then. I said, let me tell you something. I am up at night, three and four o'clock in the morning, 
trying to come up with a plan, trying to organize my thoughts, trying to get in resources. When people are sleeping, I am up trying to see how I can make my... Then I said to myself, you deserve everything you have, man. Everything you have. Why should I envy you? So you attach your affection. But the other thing is, when he attacks your affections, here's where it is. He always asks you to give up something. Give up something. And that's where a lot of people come down the aisle. They want to make a decision for Christ. And then you begin to talk with them. And they tell blah, blah, blah. He said, but are you willing to give that up? Are you willing to leave that? Are you willing to surrender that? Well, I know what a lot of people do. They say, no, well, just bow your head and say a little prayer. I never do that, sir. Never do that. Never in my life would I do that. Because I know one thing. Whatever your idol is that you're holding on to, until you surrender that, you can't be saved. I don't care who you are. You can't be saved. God will not have a rival God with him. You must be willing to give it up. So sometimes it's a boyfriend. It's a boyfriend. Many people come down the aisle. And you begin to talk. To, well, I'm living with this guy. And I'm living with this person. By the way, we had crusades in St. Lucia that we found that people were getting saved. And uh, we want to know what's happening. Then I discovered that when our people were dealing with the people, they're not dealing with those kind of issues. They're telling them this is my condition. And they're well, well, you don't, you know, you, you just bow your head and say a prayer. We never found him in the church three weeks later. The man walked away. If that's what you demand, I don't want it. God said, up to you. But I'm not going to call you back. Your affections. Sometimes it's an addiction. You're hooked on drugs. Alcohol, marijuana, cigarettes. You're hooked on drugs, maybe methane, something else, crack, cocaine. You come down the aisle. There's no salvation for you until you're willing to surrender that, sir. Surrender that. Give it up. No, that is the gospel. But that's not what's being preached. Sometimes it's your ambition. And you've got to give up. Your ambition. Sometimes it's animosity. The hatred you have for someone. You come forward on the aisle. I hate my mom. I hate my dad. I, I can't stand my husband. Well, madam, let me tell you this. You aren't ready for the kingdom yet until you're ready. Because he is going to hit you at the point where you really have a problem. Unless you're willing to give up your besetting sin. And it may be an attitude. Or sometimes there might be a little artifacts that you have. Something you want to hold on to. When God begins to deal with you, sir, to shut your mouth up, he makes demands of you that you give up what is the center of your affections. If you want him, is he more to you than this? Lovest thou me, Peter, more than these? Lovest thou me more than these? See. In the area of your affection, the area of your ambition, are two areas he always to shut your mouth up. See. Now let me give you a third illustration and then we'll be gone. Now indulge with me for just a moment because I told you two and I'll give you three. There's a man in the Bible that 
he's given tremendous credit. He's, he's recognized as one of the great men of the Bible. But the thing that the gift that he had is that he, he could talk. Very gifted person. And this very man, God sent some things along his way that really devastated him. God took away his house. God took away his children. God took, ah man, good, good. God took away his businesses. And then God took away his transportation. The camels and the horses and so on. Everything. Gone. And you remember Job? Job said, look, I am going through all of this. I don't understand what is happening with God. He got all of his arrows. And he's just throwing one arrow after me. I am so bloody with an arrow. What is God doing? I wish I could be God. Then I will argue with him and argue my case. And then Job said, there must be a daysman or a redeemer that can bring me to God, into God's presence. And then I will tell God my mind and I will ask God what he's doing. And I will lay out my case that he is unjust towards me. I can't wait to meet God in his presence. Now Jehovah is sitting in his heaven saying, who is this little puny fellow down here? I mean, who do you think he is? Who in the world does he think he is? Is that what he thinks of me? He will talk to me and tell me his case and argue. God say, you know what? I can meet with him. And the Bible says that God had a meeting with Job. <laughs> and God, he's asking God, why? Why this? And God said, okay, Job, science 101. Let me ask you a few questions. Who teaches the bird to fly away in the winter? Who, 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 who charts out his course that he knows where to go and to come back? When the earth was made and the water, who put the earth in balances and scales and balance it? Who said to the water of the sea, this far and no further? Who hangs the universe on nothing? Can you count the stars? And guess what? Guess what? Job is silence. <laughs> totally silence. Before God. And all he says afterwards, when you've tried me, he will bring me forth as gold. But though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Now that's the law is designed to show you that the law is a manifestation of the character of God. See, God doesn't come down in bodily presence and deal with you. But what he does, he takes the law and he spreads it before you say, no, this is who I am like. This is my character. This is what I am like. This is what I want because I'm like, this is what I demand of you. See? Now, can you meet those demands? And if you're an honest person who is not blind, I can't argue with you. I can't, can't argue anymore. Guilty as charged. This morning... 
I want you to understand very, very clearly that God has a purpose for his word and for his law. And the reason why it is given to you is not that you may depend on the law to save you, but the law might point you to him who can save Jesus and Jesus alone. If you don't understand that this morning, you're lost in your sins and you're still not in the kingdom of God. Even though you sit here this morning. We're going to pick up the other part of that verse next week. The second forensic purpose of the law is not just to silence man, but to bring man to the point where he acknowledges his guilt. And I want to talk next time about guilt. I really want to deal with that next time. Because until people understand that they are guilty before God, they are not ready for the kingdom yet. See? That is why we must take our time with the word and present the word. Listen, we are dealing with people whose heart have layers upon layers upon layers of sin. Who've been practicing this thing for a long time. Who've been told things for a long time. They're, you're going to peel back these layers. To get to the core of the person. But you can only do that with the word. It's a sword. The Holy Spirit has one instrument to work with. The word. If he doesn't have the word. He cannot bring conviction. My brothers and my sisters. We are not ready for evangelism. Until we grasp these fundamental basics. Of the gospel. And Paul is trying to say to these believers and to us, to us, see, that the only way you can show a man his true guilt and to silence him is not to argue with him about politics and cricket and about the church. What you do, you take the law of God and you explain the real meaning of it and say that this is the God that you are talk, you're talking about. This is what he demands. Now tell me, are you ready for that? Oh, the way we do evangelism must make God really, really shake his head in dismay and said, but I, I gave them a book. I've shown them how to do it. Why do they continue to, to act as though this has no meaning? So we make people twice the children of hell by not properly evangelizing them in respect to this matter. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again this morning for your word. We thank you for the patience of those who sat here and listened. Lord, all we can do is to explain and expound your word. We have no other means of either edifying men or evangelizing men. Oh God, may we meet here on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights. Not to be entertained, but to really allow the truth of God to soak into our hearts and our minds. That we might not only be free ourselves, that, that we may be able to liberate others because of the truth that makes us free. Help that religious person this morning that sits here, or who will hear this sermon eventually on the airwaves. Help that person to know that 
the law has its purpose. It is good if used lawfully. And that purpose is stated clearly and expressly. To silence man. And to awaken man to his guilt. That is the intent of the law. And by doing this. It brings man to his sense of need. His sense of depravity. His sense of hopelessness. Sense that he needs. A redeemer. A savior. A daysman. A mediator. And that same law. Is a schoolmaster. To lead us to Christ. The one and only redeemer. Lord open some blind eye. This morning. Unstop some deaf ear break some stubborn heart today and open some blind eye only you can do this and only you can do this through the word that is preached and proclaimed I trust this morning Lord I've honored you in doing exactly that I've fulfilled my mission I've done the task you've assigned to me now God work Holy Spirit work use the word to break men and then to heal them in Christ's name we pray Amen be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us another purpose of the law is to bring guilt upon man if you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church please call 268 268- 462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.